Ever been to that land before? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. That's a pretty good video. The land of if only. The land of if only. You know, today we want to talk about a very subtle thing. And I wonder if somehow it's even tied into the, the sanctity of life thing about contentment. Because so often we have this thing with discontentment. And when something comes into our lives that may rock that part of our world, then it just eggs on that discontentment. If we're looking for something and something comes into our lives, such as an unplanned pregnancy, for instance, uh, in, in our married life, then all of a sudden it just aggravates that. And so we are, for our guests, we're on a journey through God's Word, His story, my story, Genesis Revelation in 2012, and we are taking preaching times and preaching to the various, or teaching from the various books of the Bible. And today is the book of Numbers. It's the fourth book in the Bible. Go ahead and turn there if you want to, to Numbers 21, the fourth book from the Bible, written by Moses, written about 1,400 years before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you might say, where did it get its name, Numbers? Well, once again, these scholars that translated Hebrew 200 years before the birth of Jesus, they were translating the Hebrew Scriptures into Greek, okay? And they came across this book that had a lot of numbers in it. It wasn't a very especially creative day for them. So one of them said, uh, why don't we call it numbers? And they did. Okay, that's just the way it happened. I'm sorry, that's, that's it. They called it numbers because they had numbers. But in the first verse of, of numbers, in chapter 1, there's a word there from the Hebrew, and that's what the Hebrew called it. That's what the Israelites called it. And it's called in the wilderness. And really, Numbers is the account of the Israeli people as they wandered around in the wilderness. Now, again, for the sake of time, I'll briefly give you an overview. The children of Israel have been in, in Egypt for 430 years. Say, 430 years. Say it. That's a long time. And they had taskmasters. The Egyptians were beating them. And God finally heard their cries and decided it was time to act. He sends Moses down, which we talked about last week, down as a deliverer. And through a wonderful set of circumstances, not Moses' leadership, not who Moses was, but God convinced Pharaoh through about a zillion curses that he needed to let the people go. And the day finally came when the children of Israel left Egypt. I mean, I can imagine them. There was a day of celebration. They had, you know, Egyptians had given them stuff and said, here, take this, just leave. And they left Egypt with gold and silver and garments and all this, and they marched out about two million people. Well, they got out in the desert, and God did the miraculous Red Sea thing. You remember Charleston Heston, you know, holds his staff out in the movie about the Red Sea. You know, God parted the Red Sea. That was cool. And God did several miracles. But it wasn't long before the children of Israel said something like this. Egypt wasn't that bad. You know, we're out here in this desert, and there's no food. There's no water. You're brought out here to die. It wasn't long before they became very discontented. So they, they, they finally got to a point after some months passed, maybe perhaps a year and a half had passed, and they're finally on the edge of the promised land. God said, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey, and this is it. So he sent 12 guys in. 12 guys go in, 12 guys come back out. Okay, let's have the business meeting. What's the report? Ten of them said, you know what? It is exactly what God said. It is a man. It's, it's a man, man. It's just huge flowing with milk and honey. It's an incredible land. However, there's giants there, and there are fortified cities there, 
we just don't know about this. And a couple guys named Joshua, Joshua and Caleb spoke up and said, Oh, no, no, man, listen, we saw it too, and I'm telling you, let's go now because God will give us the land. This perhaps was the first misguided business meeting. They basically took a vote, and the vote was 10 to 2 that we don't go, and the majority ruled. And so consequently, Israel spent the next 39 years, say 39 years, wandering around in the desert. Because God said, okay, okay. Actually, he spent 40 years. But he said, you spent 40 days checking out the land. For every day that you checked out the land and didn't believe me, you're going to wander around the desert. And everyone's going to die 20 years old and over because they're not going to get to go to the promised land. So for 39 years, that's where our story picks up, for 39 years, the children of Israel have been wandering around in the desert. They got up in the morning, and they wandered. They went to bed at night, woke up in the morning, and they wandered. That's what they've been doing. All right? So when you wander that long, now I'm sure when they started wandering, the people said, you know, we understand why this is happening. But somewhere along the way, they began to get discontented. They begin to say, what in the world is God doing? Like we often say, what in the world is God doing? And we find them now at a point, a juncture in their life, when their discontentment is going to get them in big trouble. And believe me, there are lessons to learn for us today because we have the very same tendencies as they. So in your Bibles, Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9, the Bible says, Then they, and that's the children of Israel, they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Now, what happened was they they came to the border of Edom, okay? And Edom, you know, came out to meet them, and Moses said, Hi, you know, how you doing today? How are the crops doing? Good to see you. Hey, listen, we like to go through your land, and we promise not to eat your crops. We won't take your... In fact, any water that we drink, we'll pay you for that water. Moses was very cordial. Of course, he's got two million people behind him. And so, and so finally, the Edom guys go, No, nah, we don't think so. And so they had to turn around then and backtrack. Now, here's the gig. 39 years ago, they remember God said, well, because you did this, you've got to wonder. But just right over there, just right over there is the promised land. And they are ready to go. And just like any kid, if you're on vacation and you have to take a detour, what do we got to detour? Because there's an accident or because there's road construction. No one likes detours when you're close to the goal line. Am I right? That's what happened with them. They were so close to the promised land, they couldn't get there. And when Edom said no, and they had to backtrack to ride around and go back where they'd come from, they got discouraged. Ever happened in your life? Ever happened in your life? You know, you know it'd be so nice. Wouldn't it be nice if God was so predictable? Wouldn't it be so nice if His logic and our logic matched up? Wouldn't it be just great if we could see down the road and the way was straight and everything in life made perfect sense, especially in the eyes of God? Well, it does from his perspective. It's just that we can't see through his eyes sometimes, and we get discouraged. We get discontented. So this happened to them. They had to turn around and go back. They didn't want to, so they got very discouraged. And then look at verse number 5. And the people 
spoke against God. Bad idea. Bad idea. They spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness where there is no food and there is no water? Now mark this down. When you get discouraged, you have a tendency to become disillusioned. Come on now. Think about it. Some preacher somewhere promised you, if you'll just trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Wise, Your kids will have straight teeth. They'll all get scholarships to, to Ivy League schools. There'll be no problems. You'll never lose. Someone told you that. And may I tell you something? They lied. What you're describing is heaven, and this isn't heaven. And so somewhere along the way, you got discouraged, and you became disillusioned with God. All of a sudden... Egypt sounds pretty good to you. You start thinking about going, well, you know, I remember before I was a Christian, before I said yes to God, before I started going to church, before I got religion, before all that, your life wasn't so bad. Oh, yeah, that taskmaster guy, you know, I remember my my grandfather telling me how he would beat him, but for goodness sakes, at least we had uh, leeks and onions to eat. Talk about predicted out. I love being predictable. You know, every day you got up, went to work, you got beat, you came home and died, did all over again. How nice and predictable is that? And they start saying, Egypt doesn't sound good. And besides all that, there's no food here. And there's no water here. They became disillusioned. And because God's plan and our plan doesn't line up, we become disillusioned. And that leads to a discontentment with God. And the ultimate black thing is this. Once you're discouraged and you become disillusioned, then you start to find the things of God repulsive. You, you found them despising the very things of God. Look, look, look at verse number 5, the last part. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Now, what in the world is this worthless bread? This is so cool. When the children of Israel came out, they didn't have any food. I mean, they couldn't really stop at, at you know, like, like Kroger, okay, and buy groceries. So God said, I'll take care of that. And what he did was, every morning, they go out and there'd be fresh-baked bread. Well, not loaves, not like that, but, but there's this little, the Bible describes as a round wafer. And it's very sweet to the taste, kind of, you know, you know boy, kind of like pecan pie. And they got to go out every morning, they didn't have to work for it. All they had to do is trust God for it. They'd go out and get this, this manna every morning. Every, it was there. All was. And all these years... God was faithful. But, 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 when they got discouraged and got disillusioned, they despised the blessing of God. Now, I'm telling you what, people. Just listen to me. Every one of us here are blessed of God. I mean, for goodness sake, we live in the grandest country on the face of this earth. Most of us have more than we could ever use or spend. We are so blessed. We have food to eat in abundance. And yet, because often our plan doesn't line up with God's plan, we get disillusioned, we get discontent, we get discouraged, and we start despising the very things that God gave us. 
Life looks better in Egypt. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It's dangerous to talk against God. But when you start despising the things that God has blessed you with, God, you're not good enough. God, you're not generous enough. Ooh, get back, because here comes the lightning. And can I just be honest? Too many of us do it all the time. And the thing we once loved becomes despised. Why do you think men have affairs and women have affairs? Because they despise the thing they once loved. Something else looks better. Hey, hey, students, why was it when you turned 16 and your mom or dad gave you a five-year-old car, why all of a sudden do you not like that five-year-old car? Because Joe's parents brought him a brand-new Mustang from Jim Hayes when saw Chris Street. That's why all of a sudden, oh, it's not good enough. Why is your 42-inch plasma TV not good enough? Because your neighbor went down to Mike Maynard and got a 55-inch. Come on, talk to me now. See, we become discontent and despise what we have when we become envious of what other people have. Dangerous thing, folks. It's a dangerous thing. And because God loves His children, and those of you who may not be God followers, hang on. We'll get to you at the end of the service. But for us God followers, those who guys who claim Jesus, God loves us enough to send a little intervention our way. So when discontentment comes, when we become discouraged and disillusioned and reach that bad place to be, that we despise the things of God, God brings correction into our lives. Look what he does. The Bible says in verse number 6, So the Lord sent fiery serpents, among the people. And they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. So did y'all get that? Some of y'all say, well, you know, no, God, God, God love. God. He sent fiery serpents. He sent fiery serpents among the people. And some of the people, many of the people even died. You don't like that? Okay, as a God follower, I'm assuming you're going to make it to heaven. When you get to heaven, talk to him about it. But I'm going to tell you something. He's God. And when we despise, he can act as he sees fit because he is just and he is righteous. He doesn't make mistakes. So, snakes came. And notice this now. The people... Almost instantly made a connection. They go to Moses and say, Wait, whoa, whoa, time out, Mo. We have sinned. And we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Isn't it cool that it didn't take them long to make the connection? That they recognized the corrective action of God. And then they said, Whoa, we sinned. Hey, Moses, tell God that we sin, please take the serpents away. Unfortunately, you want to know why they recognize it so quickly? Been there, done that. Why is it as believers today, why is it we so live our lives that we're constantly, it seems like, under God's corrective action? It would seem like we would learn. I mean, you know, 
<laughs> I was down in my basement. You have, been, have you been in my basement? It's been a long time ago. I got the lowest. Ba- now, listen, I'm only 5'8". Okay, I was 5'8 when I was 19. And I know one thing. My pants are as long as they used to be. So I'm probably not 5'8 anymore. But for the sake of the day, can I be 5'8"? So I'm in my basement. And I'm cleaning it up. And there's a corner behind this furnace thing, this old coal furnace, back over here that I never go. It's kind of a damp place, you know. I don't ever go there. I said, you know what? I could put stuff back there. We never go there. It's wasted space. We'll just go there. So I walk around there, and I get there, and I turn around and go, bonk. There's this pipe that, that John Hetherington, who wasn't really a plumber, kind of did an elbow down, and it's like hits me right here. So I go, bonk. I said, oh, crud. You know, it hurt. He said, I hope it's okay if your pastor says crud. That's what I said. So, so I go back around. I get something else. I come back, and I bonked it again. And, and believe it or not, now, I, I avoided it for like two more trips. But before the day was over, I bonked it again. It would seem like I would learn the lesson. Duck! Why is it with God that God loves us enough to bring corrective action and says, don't do that, don't go there? Why don't we learn? Can I just pause a second? You know why I kind of like God? You know why I kind of like His book? See, how you view what I'm talking about, about the mistakes coming, and about me bonking my head, and about God's corrective action in your life, is how you view this book. See, if you view this book as a bunch of, Thou shall not, or I'll zap you. Thou shalt, or I'll zap you. If this is a strict rule book that God gave us so he can whoop us if we don't keep it, you probably don't like this teaching. But you know what the truth is? This is God's book of life. He says, the reason I tell you don't commit adultery is because it will destroy your marriage. The reason I tell you to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is because that's their best shot of turning into responsible adults. The reason I spend so much time talking about money in the Bible, God would say, is because He knows the disaster of financial irresponsibility. The book is a book of guidelines for life. It's not something God can hit us with. View it that way. Don't read and go, oh, no, I can't do that. If God says don't, there's a reason you shouldn't. And if he says you should, there's a reason for that too. Don't listen to the world. The world sees this as negative, negative, negative. It is not. It is a life-given, freedom-setting-free, holy word of God. That's what it is. I'm telling you guys, hear me. Hear me, hear me, hear me. God, oh, listen, I'll say it later, but I'll say it now. God loves you. And the reason he, you know, did you know the Ten Commandments came after the children of Israel were in covenant with God? The Ten Commandments weren't even given to the world. They were given to a covenant people because the, the, the Word of God is about how to live. Not how to be in bondage, how to live. And I am convinced, if you honor me as your pastor, I pray you'll honor what I'm fixing to say. I am convinced that the more we understand what this book is all about, 
life and not bondage. And the more we say, okay, God, as you reveal it to me and teach it to me, I'm going to follow it, the best life you're going to have. That's the best life. Here. Here. My take on Joel Osteen's words. It's not heaven. But the more you obey this book and understand this book and love this book, that's where you're going to find the joy and the freedom and the purpose that you're looking for. Pink Cadillacs? I didn't find it. Never get sick? I didn't find that either. But I did find a God who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That I'll go with you to the darkest times. We even learn Wednesday night. Y'all come on Wednesday night sometimes. We learn on Wednesday night from Psalm 16 that every good thing comes from God. He's not a bad thing, God. He's a good thing, God. Incredible. It's incredible. So God sent the snakes. The people made the connection and said, we have sinned against God. Now listen. Does God correct us? Emphatically, yes. Take your Bibles real quick. I know we're running way late. I'm very conscious of that today. But just go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Now, Hebrews, you know, it sounds Old Testament is New Testament. It's all the Word of God. It doesn't matter. But I'm just letting you know this is from the New Testament. For time's sake, I really want you to go home and I want you to start reading and Chapter 12, verse 1. I want you to go all the way down to verse number 11. We don't have time for that today. We're going to pick it up in verse number 5. Hebrews 12. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons, God's children. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastisement, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Allow me to read a couple more verses. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, duh. No chastening seems to be joyful for the moment. I've never met a kid saying, hit me again, Dad. Hit me again. Never saw that, okay? For the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I did not discipline my children when they were young for my pleasure. I did not discipline my children with the expectation they'd go, oh, Dad. You know what? I love them. And when there's something in life that was going to hurt them, I love them enough to help them understand the danger of that. God is no different. Does God chasten his children? Absolutely he does. But, but we've got to pause. Beware of distortions. It was always said in jest at the time I spent in a different denomination, a very legalistic denomination, that when the preacher preached on money somewhere in the sermon, he would say, yeah, some people have to go to the hospital and get their tithes taken out. 
careful, okay? Don't distort the Word of God. I think God blesses giving. Amen? He does. Be careful when you say things like that. And, and a friend of mine was a pastor. And his grandson, through an inoculation, was made blind. And one of his church members, I think a deacon, walked up to him and said, Pastor, there must be sin in your life because God struck your grandson blind. Makes me want to be a believer. Stay away from that stuff. Stay away from distorting and those who would distort the teachings of the Word of God. But with that said, Three things. I want you to write these. If you don't take any notes, write these down. These are important. In this world, there are three things. There are circumstances, there are consequences, and there's correction. And not, if you don't understand that, every time you get a flat tire, you're going to say, Oh, God's chasing me. Now, no, you've got a nail in your tire. Okay? So what, there are consequences. We live, or excuse me, circumstances. We live in an imperfect world. Have you figured it out yet? The reason people get cancer, there are various reasons, I'm sure, but the bottom line is cancer came into the world because sin came into the world. And we are sinners and our body deteriorates. The reason we have a 100% death rate on the human race is because bodies grow old and die. That's simply the world we live in. All right? So there are circumstances. That's the wonderful promise of Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. We live in an imperfect world, so we will experience imperfections, but God will bring good from those imperfections. If I were to die tomorrow, my greatest prayer would be that whoever taught my sermon, I don't know who would preach my funeral, but someone would be saved. Someone would be saved. How incredible that would be. We've seen funerals, you know, we've done where people got saved, where people encouraged, where people came back to God. God can bring good out of difficult circumstances. But sometimes, and that's not correction, that's just life. But sometimes there's correction through consequences. Correction through consequences. Sometimes God allows the consequences to help us learn. Example, you're not a good money manager. You're making 50000 a year and living on eighty. And your, your credit card debt is out of control. You have two nice cars of which you cannot afford. You live in a house that you cannot afford. And consequently, you and mom are just like this. And hopefully, those consequences of financial irresponsibility will cause you to go, wait a minute. Maybe we should listen to what God's got to say about finances. Oh, the borrower is servant to the lender. I think I read that in the Bible somewhere. See? So God is using those consequences to teach you. When a man stumbles into an affair, if he's smart, he'll never do it again. How many affairs did David have? One. One Bathsheba. He learned his lesson. How many times did Peter deny Christ? Once. Learned his lesson. Consequences help us in correction. But then sometimes there's correction. 
Sometimes God says, enough. Anas and Sapphira died because of their sin. God loves us and corrects us. Sometimes there's just circumstances, Brent. It's called life. Often, God wants to use our consequences to teach us lessons in the Word of God. But sometimes God does correct and correct firmly. Can you see one more thing? Watch this. The Bible says in verse 8 and 9, read it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. What did the people ask for? Moses, go tell God to take those fire serpents away from us. Did God do that? He provided a way. Now, it, the power is not in a bronze serpent. What's the power? If any man looks, he will live. So Moses goes back and says, okay, here's the deal, guys. Okay, you see the snakes around us? If you get bitten by the snake, have faith in God, look at the serpent. And exercising faith, God will heal you. See, the problem with discontentment is unbelief. God, we don't believe you. God, we don't trust you. God, we don't believe you. God, we don't trust you. And if God had taken the serpents away... I don't know how long those serpents hung around, but I bet it became a pretty popular act of faith to look at that pole. What do you think? Amen? Amen? God says, trust me. If you're wrestling with discouragement today, God says, trust me. If you're disillusioned today, God says, trust me. Even if you reach that dark point in life, you start despising the very blessings of God. God says, come home and trust me. I don't know why God hasn't made you a millionaire. I don't know why you're well and someone else who smokes six packs of cigarettes a day has perfect lungs. I know what God says. Trust me. Just trust me. I'm working in your life. There's what's incredible. Let's fast forward. Let's fast forward 1,400 years. Jesus is having a discussion with a religious teacher named Nicodemus. In that conversation, Jesus says this. Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And you know the rest, don't you? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted a bronze serpent and there was no power in the serpent, but there was plenty of power in the faith, so if people will look to me where there is power, and have faith that I'm the Son of God, and believe that I can die, and did die for their sins, and will forgive their sins, as they exercise that faith, they will never, never perish. They will live. The ones who looked at the bronze serpent eventually died. The man and woman who looked to the cross, to the Christ of the cross, never dies. 
they have eternal life. See, that's the deal. When you signed up with Jesus, when you said, okay, God, that, that was the deal. He, he said, I tell you what, you're a sinner and I'm holy, which means I'm holy and you're not. And because of that sin, we are eternally separated. And when you die, you'll be really separated because you're going to a place called hell. But I don't want that. I'm going to provide a way that you can have forgiveness and have eternal life. Now, the wages of sin is death, so someone's going to have to pay that price. I know. I'll become flesh, live among you, and die on a cross. I'll pay the penalty for sin myself. And Jesus Christ did that. And guys, whether you ever have a Cadillac or not, it doesn't matter. You're not going to hell. That'd be a good place for even a hard-shell Baptist to say amen. Why is it that we, if God doesn't give us all our toys and all our wishes, we're mad at Him? He saved us from hell. That's incredible. So what, where does all this stuff come from? Well, it comes from unbelief. I really believe that. But it comes from Satan. I mean, what did Satan say in the garden? Did God really say, don't you know God's depriving you? Don't you know God doesn't want you to be happy? Don't you know God wants you to be sad and in bondage? He's still telling you those lies today. He's still telling those lies today. Jesus says he's a liar and the father of it. So if you're a believer today, my challenge to you today, I don't care how many crazy Ivans God pulls on you, trust him. You know what a crazy Ivan is, do you remember? A Russian submarine captain would, would be sailing along under the water and would suddenly turn left or right to see if there's any submarines following him because there's a blind spot behind a submarine. So he'd do what they call a crazy Ivan. Sometimes God just takes a left turn and you're going, God, what are you doing? Trust me. God, why'd you allow that? Trust me. I'm God. I love you. I love you. I'm not going to hurt you. I love you. Okay, Father. Okay. I challenge you for that today. Heaven's coming, guys. But it's not here. There'll be disappointments. There'll be hard times. Have you, have you read the, the list of the apostles? You know, the 12 guys, 11. All but one was martyred. John was the only one that lived a natural death. Died a natural death. Not that. Trust him. And, and when, when you fail in that area, and you become discouraged and disillusioned, and correction comes. Now, Satan will probably be the whispering, God doesn't love you. If he loved you, he wouldn't be doing this. It's the same thing your kids say. If you love me, why did you spank me? Come here, son, I'll show you why. You see that semi-truck going by the house? You would be a greasy spot if you play in the road. So to help you learn not to play in the road, I gave you a spanking. Now, son, are you going to play in the road? Oh, please don't, Daddy. Okay, good. If a human father can love that much, how much more can our gracious heavenly Father? Now, if you're here today, and you're not a God follower, you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, whatever term you want to put on it, you might say, I don't know if I want to sign up for this or not. Listen, man, I'm telling you, just 
focus on what I said today. There's a God who loves you enough to do whatever necessary to bring you into relationship with Him. And this 70 years isn't perfect. No, I'm not going to promise you just bring God into your life and you'll never get sick and you'll never lose your job and you'll never... And you're, I'm not going to promise that because it would be a lie. But I will promise you that there's coming a day where there'll be no sickness, no sorrow, no pain, no pink slips, no hospitals, no funeral homes, no nursing homes, no hurt feelings, no broken hearts, no divorce. There's coming a time. And until then, while you live in this imperfect, crazy world that ta-da, we created, I'll walk with you. And when your heart gets broken, I'll be there to hold it till it heals back together. And when you lose a loved one, if they know Jesus, I can give you the hope of seeing them again. And if you lose your job, I'll be there and send people to walk with you while you're without that job. I'll send my people to be with you. That's why I promise you. That's the best deal going, guys. You won't find a blue light special at Kmart like that. And he did it, and he paid it because he loves us. It's not about rules. It's not about religion. It's not about holier than thou. It's about God's incredible, amazing grace. Would you bow your heads right there where you are? Thank you for your patience today. I so appreciate that. If you're here today and you're a follower and a believer, I'm going to keep this real simple. If you're a follower and believer in Jesus Christ, I just want to challenge you to watch out for the lies of Satan. Be careful when you become discouraged, when you become disillusioned, that you don't despise the very blessings of God. Be careful of that. If you're there now, chances are God's put something in your life to help you come home, to get your attention. He loves you that much. If you've made a mess of life, God does a really incredible job of cleaning up messes, but you've got to give Him time. You've got to give Him time. If you're Dan, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, my friend Brent will be standing down front. And surely in the, in the big, big speech I gave today, talk I gave today, you heard that God loves you. And that even though you sin against Him, He waits to forgive that and bring you into relationship with Himself. I know you got a zillion questions. That's why I'm asking you just a moment, with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, just come forward and say, Brent, I want to know this God that Dwayne talked about. He himself or one of our counselors will tell you how you can come in relationship with Holy God. Now, Father, I thank you for this privilege today. I stand as your representative today, uncategorically stating that you love us. You love us enough if we're your children to bring correction into our lives. Not to punish us, Father, but to bring us home. If there's someone here and they feel they're under the discipline of God, I, I pray, Father, that they'll be able to discern first off that that's exactly what it is. And they'd be willing to confess that, turn from that, and come home to you. Father, I pray my friend who's here who's never trusted you Jesus as Savior 
I pray that today might be that day. That they would finally tune out the liar and say yes to you. Father, just give them boldness to step out in faith. Brent, I want to know this God. Draw people, men, women, children to yourself. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.